Good morning. It is good to be back. Um, thank you for joining us today. We look forward to a brand new year. Um, I would first of all invite you to please stand as we read God's word. From John chapter 15, <clears throat> the English Standard Version. The first 11 verses. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be full. Would you please be seated? And Father, as we open up your word now, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would be our instructor, our teacher, our guide through the word of God so that we might be able to take that apply it to our own lives, and then be able to communicate it to other people. So, Father, um, be glorified today, for we ask in Jesus' wonderful and matchless name. Amen. be speaking today on John chapter 15, and this is the last day of the year. And when I come to the last day of the year, I try to look back and reflect and see what has taken place in my life. What has God done in my life? And then I look forward to this brand new year where God has opened up the opportunity for us to be able to serve him and through Eloise's great presentation gives you as a church the opportunity to become involved. And so um, I've chosen today this passage, uh, the Gospel of John, and whenever I come to a, a passage, I like to introduce it by placing the context. And so the Gospel of John is broken up into three basic parts. There's the public ministry, the first 12 chapters, 
And uh, this is, first of all, in the first four chapters, Jesus presents himself as the Son of God, the eternal creator, the Son of God. And then in chapters 5 through 12, it is opposition to him. So in those first 12, first 12 chapters, there are seven miracles that Jesus performs to validate who he is. And he gives seven I am statements to allow him to communicate to his disciples and to the world who he is and how he meets the needs of his people. If you remember in John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. In chapter 10, he says, I am the door. I'm the good shepherd. Good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And in John chapter 15, this is the last of the I am statements, which is where we are today. We're going to be looking at that. So uh, he is the true vine. And so the private ministry is found in... Um, chapters 13 down through 17. That's the upper room discourse. And then the passion of Christ is chapters 18 down through 21. And it's interesting to note that 50% of the Gospel of John deals with that final week of the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now in the private ministry, uh, chapters um, 13 through 17, Jesus is... Um, in chapter 13, addressing his disciples, he gets down and he washes their feet. He dismisses um, Judas, and he gives some really bad information to the um, uh, distressing information to his disciples. He says, uh, I'm going away. Um, the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, they're, they're going to beat me. They're going to mock me. They're going to scourge me. They're going to beat me with a cat of nine tails and they're gonna kill me, and also one of you is going to betray me, one of, his, one of you is going to deny me three times. In fact, every single one of you are going to desert me in my hour of greatest need, and Satan is gonna to try to do everything he can to keep you from being effective. So the disciples are overwhelmed and Jesus begins to talk to them about the future. Chapter 14, he says, he presents himself as the only way to the Father. In verses 15 down through 26, he presents uh, the Holy Spirit who's going to come, and he's going to permanently reside in each believer forever. And then at the very end of the chapter, he talks about the fact that he's going to give his peace, not as the world gives, but he's going to give his peace to uh, the disciples. And so chapter 15 then talks about the human responsibility. What does that mean to us? And so the fellowship in the garden, he talks about, first of all, relationships. Isn't that what we have been singing about in our worship today? Relationships. And um, in chapter 16, he's going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and then he talks about his uh, his high priestly prayer is mentioned in chapter 17. But as we come to the relationships in John chapter 15, 
he talks about the most important relationships that we can maintain. And he talks about the fact that the most important relationship that you can maintain is your relationship to our Lord Jesus Christ. Second most important relationship is your relationship to each other. And the third most important relationship is your relationship to those who are outside of Jesus Christ. In the first 11 verses, it talks about the fact that Jesus commands us to abide in him. The word is mentioned 11 times. Now, a hermeneutical principle is if something is mentioned more than one time, it's very important. But if it's mentioned 11 times, I'm calling it my ultimate priority. This is what God wants me to be doing. And so he's going to be talking to, uh, to, uh, about Christ uh, himself in the first 11 verses. He's going to talk about believers in verses 12 down through 17 and his relationship to the world. Key word is abide in the first section. Key word is love in the second section. Key word is hate. Not that we hate the world, but the world hates us because we are linked to Jesus Christ. So the couple of preliminary thoughts I would just want to introduce. First of all, this is for the believer only. A person who is not a believer cannot understand and apply this passage. Number two, this passage revolves around symbols. The symbol of the vine dresser, the vine, and the branch. The main topic is not salvation. It's not even fruit bearing, but it is abiding in Jesus Christ. And there is a progression. There's a progression that goes from no fruit to fruit to more fruit to much fruit, to lasting fruit. And we're going to see that as we go through the passage. And um, this is talking about priorities in life, the relationships. Jesus is our most important relationship. He's already talked about that to his disciples. Back in Matthew chapter 6, he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. He says in chapter 6, verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And in Matthew chapter 22, he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? Give me a priority. What's the greatest? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. So he Love God, love people. Pretty simple, isn't it? And that's what God wants us to be focusing on. So he has already dismissed Judas. Judas, um, in chapter 13, it says, Then Satan entered into Judas. He went out, and it was night. Saddest, one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. And now Jesus is with his family. He couldn't talk about these things if Judas was still there because Judas was not a believer. He was following Jesus, but he was not one of the true believers. And so now he has to talk about family truth. How can I accomplish the evangelism and discipleship of the world through these 11 guys? These, uh, one third of them are fishermen. You have a tax collector. Some of the other rag, this is a rag 
ragtag group of people. And Jesus is committing the evangelism and discipleship of the entire world to these people. So we now come to this uh, part where the relationship with Christ, and it's broken up into three parts. It's pruning, and it's in your outline, it's pruning by the Father, abiding in the Son, and then what are the results of abiding? So I would encourage you, please, you really need to take your Bibles and follow along. If you don't have a Bible, if there's one in the pew, please use it. It is extremely important that you look at the passage in order for you to get the most from what God's Holy Spirit is seeking to tell us. So the first thing he says in chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I am. You remember we talked about the I am statements? This is the last of those, this I am. That he's saying, I am God, in essence. And he says, uh, there are some symbols. The, he says, I am the true vine. So if Jesus is the true vine, that means there's a false vine. And that false vine is found back in the book of Isaiah chapter 5, where it's talking about Israel, and they were that wild, unproductive vine. So Jesus is now coming on the scene, and he is saying, I am the true, I am the genuine vine. And there are those who would seek to um, contrast that. Satan seeks to do that. And, and you, you hear what our society tells us, don't you? First of all, it says, all that is really important is that you are happy. So my happiness is dependent upon if things are going my way, I'm happy. If things aren't going my way, I am not very happy. So my life is like this, whereas the true fruit that I want to have established in my life is joy. And joy is based on relationship, and that is growing as I am abiding in the vine. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. So picture this great big vine in the vineyard, and it comes up, and there are branches that come off of that. That's what the apostles are. That's what you and I are. We are the branches, and Jesus is that vine, and he is seeking to reproduce his life in us. And so, as we think about this, we have to think about the fact that Jesus says, and my father is the vine dresser or the gardener, the husbandman, there are different words that are used to describe it. So he's the one that is going to be doing some pruning. So fortunately, I was in the tree business, and uh, I was in there for 45 years, so I, I trimmed a lot of trees. And people would come, Ron, would you cut, trim our apple tree for fruit? I'd say, do you really want me to do that? And they say, yes, we do. So there's this beautiful apple tree, and so you know the people go inside, and I start to prune, and I take the entire top half off of the tree. It is ugly but I do it to produce better fruit, more fruit, and abundant fruit, better quality. And so here, God the Father is this expert uh, gardener. And so um, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. 
And he says in verse 2, every branch in me. So that's an important phrase. It's mentioned six times. That means you are intimately in union with our Lord Jesus Christ. When God looks at us, he looks at us through the prism of Jesus, and he sees us as having been forgiven of all of our sins. He sees us as having eternal life and being placed as adult sons and having the benefits of everything that God has created for us. So there's some pruning that God the Father is going to be doing. So he takes out his equipment and begins to, first of all, remove the dead wood in our lives. And I, I, I think about that as the sin. Remember in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Therefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so be easily beset us. So there's sin that needs to be dealt with. And so God gets the loppers and he says, I see that sin. And he begins to cut it. And it hurts. I, I like my sin. God, what are you doing? And he sees something else that I need to remove that also. And he begins to take these things out of my life. He removes the diseased branches also, the branches that are damaged, the branches that are rotting. He also begins to take out some sucker growth. Those are the little sprouts that come up and they suck the nutrients out of the rest of the tree so that it can't put it into the production of fruit. And so there are crossing branches, and God the Father is pruning. And he's, if you've ever seen one of these apple trees after they've been pruned, it, they are a mess. They look terrible. But they are being done for a purpose. Because God the Father wants to have fruit produced in your life. And so he removes sin. He actually takes out some things that are actually legitimate in our lives. For instance, um, if we're going to run a 100-yard dash and um, all the runners are lined up, you know, they're in their shorts and their, you know, spikes and their shirts, and I come in and I have a, a, an overcoat, I have galoshes, I have a, a hat, I have mittens on, and uh, I'm ready to, to run. Those are legitimate things, but guess what? That's not going to help me win the race. And so the father begins to prune some of those things. And think of some of the things that you have that are legitimate in your life. You need to do these things. You need to have these things in your life. And yet God begins to do some pruning so that you are being conformed to the image of his son. He's removing them so that you might be able to be better prepared to produce fruit. And so God does this cleansing effect. And so he says... In verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, so there's no fruit, okay? I want you to see that first. He, God the Father, takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, so there's fruit, go from no fruit to fruit, he prunes, that means he's doing his job of the vine dresser, getting ready to produce fruit for the vine, and it says that it may bear more fruit. So he goes from no fruit to fruit to more fruit. God's not satisfied with more fruit. He has to do some more pruning in our lives. 
And so sometimes we have to think, what are the things that God sometimes removes? Uh, some people wrestle with uh, the loss of a job, trying to find a job. Or somebody gets credit at work for something that you did, and, and they're getting the, all the credit that you deserve to have. We also think sometimes of the um, physical problems that we go through. My sister was just recently diagnosed with one of those diseases that nobody wants to hear about. Betty and I have a list of people who have MS, they have uh, Parkinson's, they have cancer. We pray for them on a daily basis because they're hurting people. They're people who are going through great pain. My, my niece had to go through these shots in her back constantly, and for years she's been in agony. Doesn't get any rest respite from that. How about uh, the material reversals that people face, especially in the economy that we've been facing, going through really tough times. Sometimes people go through persecution. How about divorce in our families? Or, or our kids are... are going the opposite way of what they have been trained to follow. Remember, train up a child, a way, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. But they're departing from it. So these are all things, physical problems, disabilities, material reversals. And some of you are going through pruning in your life right now, and it hurts. And you can be in Christ, and God is not satisfied with your life because he's doing more and more pruning. So keep in mind that God has one thing in purpose, and that is to produce fruit, and we've been singing it in praise, for his glory. All morning, we've been singing that. And so look at verse 3. He says, now are you clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. He says, this is pruning that God the Father and the Son are both doing. We saw in, in verse 2, the Father was doing pruning. Now Jesus is doing some cleansing and pruning. He says, now are you clean. It's the same word that's used, uh, prune. The root word is the exact same. So, so there's Jesus is doing some pruning by the speaking that he's been ministering to in his disciples as he's been training them for three and a half years, helping them. And it, this recalls the words that Jesus spoke to Peter in uh, chapter 13, verse 10. He says, you are clean. Remember, he's washing his feet, and Peter said, uh, you know, give me the whole bath, you know. But now Jesus says, hey, you are clean though not all of you are clean. In other words, Judas had to leave before he could give this family truth. So how does the pruning take place? Well, God uses sometimes the mirror of the word of God. In James chapter 1, remember, man looks in a mirror. He says, boy, I need to change this, need to change this, pull my hair, brush my teeth, and walk away, and I don't do anything. What good is it? Says, the Bible says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Also, God uses the, the knife approach, the sword of the spirit. 
The word of God is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It begins to pierce into our hearts and begin to remove those layers of sin that have to be dealt with. Remember, God says, my word is like a lamp unto your feet. It's like a fire and hammer in the book of Jeremiah. Jesus said, it's like word. Um, my, my word is what is going to nourish you. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Job said, neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And so God uses all of these different metaphors for the word of God to produce pruning in your life so that you can begin to bear fruit. So the first requirement here, we must submit to the Father's pruning. Move to verse 4. Jesus said, abide in me. So that's the first time he uses it. Abide in me, in Christ, and I will abide in you. As the branch, that's us, cannot bear fruit of itself unless it Number two, abides in the vine, Christ. Neither can you, the branch, unless you, the branch, abide, third time he uses it, in me. He gives a command. If Jesus gives a command to abide in Christ, and if you're not abiding in Christ, if you're living in sin, unconfessed sin, guess what? You are not abiding. Do you understand that? That's what scripture tells us. Jesus is saying that. And then he goes, he, he talks about the fact there are some qualifications for bearing fruit. First of all, we have to be attached to the vine. We have to abide in the vine. And then the third thing is we have to be available for the vine to be working in us. Look at verse 5. He says, I am the vine or the true vine, the genuine vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me. Here's the fourth time, and I in him bears much fruit. Remember, we went from no fruit to fruit to more fruit to much fruit. And guess what? God's not satisfied with much fruit. He wants lasting fruit, fruit that's going to stay and remain. So the word abide means to stay in a position, to remain there, to be in constant, intimate fellowship with almighty God, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so in verse 5, he is telling us we must abide in the Son and depend on his power because he said, without me, you can do nothing. You can do absolutely nothing of eternal value or of eternal significance unless you are linked, you're drawing your strength, your energy, your resources from that omnipotent vine of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you try to do it on your own power, on your own effort, guess what? You're going to fall flat on your face. That's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Without him, I can do zero. You will do nothing of eternal value. That, that's, that, that should wake us up. If you are not abiding in our Lord Jesus Christ, to me, this is the most important passage for a Christian in the entire Bible. If you're not a Christian, John 3.16 is the verse for you. But for the believer, from, from my perspective, 
This passage is the most important because 11 times it gives the command to abide in our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6 now, very quickly. It says, if anyone does not abide, there's the fifth time, in me, again, in Christ, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. This is, Jesus is not talking about a branch that is forever cut out of the vine. The subject is bearing fruit and not talking about eternal life. The burning is a judgment upon fruitlessness, not abandonment to eternal destruction. There's a loss of fellowship. Look at the, the passage. It says, cast out by not abiding. There's a loss of vitality. You're withered. You uh, are, don't have the strength. You don't have, you're empty inside. You have a loss of reward. Listen to uh, and I would, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you would. It's so important you look at this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. And the Apostle Paul is speaking. He says, for, and this is a great passage. It blends right into what we're talking about today. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. He is the only foundation. He's the ultimate priority. And he says, now if anyone builds on this foundation, and he lists six things, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Some of them are going to be put in the fire and they're going to be burned up. Others are going to be put through and they're going to be refined. He says, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And fire will test each one's work. You see that? Of what sort it is, if anyone's work, which he has built on, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, wood, hay, stubble, wood, hay, straw, he will suffer loss, but notice what it says. He himself will be saved yet as by fire. So now I come to the good part. The results. And, and there are six of them here. And let me quickly go through them. He says, first of all, I'm going to answer your prayers. In verse 7, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Remember back in verse 3, talks about the word, now are you clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now he's talking about the word, if you abide in me and my word abides in you. That's the importance of abiding. It's giving us a definition of abiding. Abiding is God speaking to us through his word, us talking back to him through prayer. And he says, if you abide in me, if you do one thing, if you abide in me, God says, I will answer your prayers. But we have to ask, what is that fruit that he's talking about? Some people think it's um, winning souls for Christ, uh, Proverbs 30, verse 5. Um, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that wins souls is wise. Some people think it's um, that type of uh, fruit that comes from good works, being fruitful in every good work, Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. 
In Romans chapter 6, it talks about you have fruit unto holiness. It results in holy, righteous living. But I think it's talking about, in this passage, it's probably talking about all of them, but I think the main thing is it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. Those nine in a cluster are going to come in abundance. In other words, God never commands us to bear fruit. He commands us to abide in him. And if we abide in him, what's going to happen? The fruit is going to come, and it's going to come in abundance. You're going to have a lot of love, a lot of joy, peace, patience, gentleness, all of those. You're going to have a lot of those. So the first result is answers to prayer. Number two, God the Father is going to be glorified. Jesus has already mentioned in chapter 13, verses 31 through 32, uh, that uh, about Jesus was going to be glorifying the Father. And in chapter 17, he's talking, praying to the Father, talking about glorifying him. But he's saying, if you do one thing, if you abide in Jesus Christ, you are going to glorify the Father. Think about that. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. God wants us to be glorifying him. You can do it by doing one thing abiding in Jesus Christ. Third thing, you're going to bear much fruit. You're going to have a lot of fruit, a lot of love, a lot of joy, a lot of peace. And you're going to prove, you're going to demonstrate, in verse 8, that you are one of his disciples. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. If you have love one to another, John 13, 35. And he says, people are going to know that you're going to prove, you're going to demonstrate to the world that you are my followers if you do one thing. If you abide in Jesus Christ. But it gets better. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me. So here's a question I want to ask. If I was to ask, how much do you think God the Father loves Jesus? Put a number on it. An infinity. Infinity, right? Okay. You might never have seen this before, but look at what the passage says. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. With that same type of infinity, agape, unconditional, selfless, sacrificial, not expecting anything in return, love. Jesus loves me with that same amount that the Father loves me. And he says in chapter 13, verse 1, I love them to the end, to the utmost. I love them to the nth degree as much as I possibly can. And look at verse 10. First five words, if you keep my commandments. So... Um, let me ask you a question. If I was to put on one plus one equals, what would you put over here? It's a, not a rocket science thing. What, what would be it? Two, right? Okay. Look at the passage. Obedience, if you keep my commandments, you will abide. O abiding equals obedience. So here, let me, let me tie it together a little bit. Remember back in verse 7, if you abide me and my words abide me, you ask what you will and shall be done unto you. 
It's the word of God, God speaking to me in his word. I speak to him in prayer. That's abiding. Now, when he speaks to me, I obey. That's a key. You can't say, well, God, you told me to do this, but I'm going to walk away. I'm going to do my own thing. Obedience is that obeying. Abiding equals obedience. Obedience is the cause of fruitfulness. Joy is the result. So the first requirement is this. We must submit to the Father's pruning. Requirement number two, we must abide in the Son. We have to depend on his power. So this is that brand new dynamic in love that he gives us. That's the fifth one. That dynamic in love. We can love others because we have Christ's love. Um, Hope makes not ashamed because the love of God is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given unto us. God's spirit pours out his love into our hearts so we can love other people. And you're doing that. And you're to be commended. Now the third part is we must requirement is we must obey his commands, verses 7 down through 11. And look at verse 11, very quickly. Jesus said, these things I have spoken unto you. He's spoken unto them not only on this Thursday evening, right before Good Friday, but for three and a half years, he has poured his life into these believers. And he says, I've spoken all of these things unto you. Here's the reason. That my joy. Now in chapter 14, he says, I'm giving you my peace. In chapter 15, where he says, I'm giving you my love. Now he says, I'm giving you my joy. That means if you take a, a, a glass and you take joy, it's full of joy over here. It's a bottle full of joy. And you pour it and you just don't take the bottle away. What happens? It begins to overflow. That's the type of joy that you will experience as you do one thing. Abide in our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, unto now you've asked for nothing in my name, asking you shall receive and your joy may be full. So God's still not content with, you know, no fruit, fruit, more fruit, much fruit, God's looking for a lasting. Look at verse 16, if you would, please. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that it's going to last, lasting fruit. That means you stay in that position of intimacy with God as you're walking around the day. You're talking to Christ. You're thinking, meditating upon his word, memorizing it, doing whatever you can to get it into your life. So ask three questions. Number one, are you in the vine? Number two, are you abiding in the vine Are you drawing your strength from him so that you can produce that fruit in your life? And are you bearing that fruit today? Are you doing that? As we go into this brand new year, you make inventory of what took place this past year, but now make a resolution. I choose to abide in Jesus Christ for this coming year. So by way of application, number one, Take inventory 
of your life and develop your priorities. Jesus first, others, and then yourself last, and reaching out to the world, okay? Number two, sometimes pruning by the Father hurts. Oh boy, it hurts. No, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. God's out to produce his character in you, the character of Jesus Christ, as you abide in his son. Number three, the command to abide is not a suggestion, but will bring about eternal blessing, verses four through six. The results will reveal Christ's character being reproduced in you you're going to see a brand new self-control because you are abiding in Christ. You're going to have uh, kindness and gentleness and meekness toward other people. Number five, beware of the substitutes. I have listed here a whole bunch of substitutes. What are the, tr what, what are the true fruit? What are the false weeds? And what are the artificial fruit? and choose to abide today. Satan is going to try to do everything he can to keep you from being effective as a believer. You need to make a choice. It's not automatic. You don't automatically follow Christ. You don't automatically abide. You have to make that choice to do that. Would you bow with me? Father, we have communicated your word. We thank you especially for our Lord Jesus Christ, who is uh, our Savior, our Sovereign, our Lord. Thank you, Father, that uh, you have given us the privilege to hear the gospel message, the message about the death, the burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by putting our confidence and faith and trust in him, that you give us eternal and you said, we will never perish, neither will anyone pluck you out of your hand. So, Father, I commit this sermon, this message, these people to you as we go into this brand new year. Lord, let us abide in your Son and bring glory to you, for I ask in Jesus' name.